everybody. It is Wednesday, April 12th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mosh Wanunu. This is the place where we bring you just the facts and we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Jill is on vacation this week, so it'll just be me as we get to some of the news you need to know today. Let's start with the headlines. Tennessee is looking at some new laws after their mass shooting two weeks ago, as we're learning more across the border about the mass shooter in Kentucky. President Biden has officially declared the COVID emergency over. We will tell you what that means. We're going to check in on how Americans feel about the economy as we got a report card of sorts from the International Monetary Fund about how the global economy is doing. John Stewart has gone toe-to-toe with a top Pentagon official. It's going viral online. We're going to break down the fight, uh, have you listen to some of the key clips about the trillions that are unaccounted for at the Pentagon. The price of stamps are about to go up again. We have some good news for you if you have house plants and what they could do for your health. And of course, we'll end as always with On This Day in History, a big day for space news. All right, I want to start with a headline we have been waiting for for more than three years. The coronavirus national emergency that was first enacted in March 2020 is now officially over. The U.S. national emergency to respond to the pandemic officially ended at the beginning of this week with President Biden officially signing a bipartisan congressional resolution to bring it to a close. The national emergency allowed the government to take sweeping steps to respond to the virus, support the country's economic, health, and welfare systems. The White House issuing a one-line statement this week saying Biden has signed the measure behind closed doors. It does come after he publicly opposed the resolution. The White House actually wanted to end the emergency next month. But congressional Republicans had pushed to end it earlier with some legislation. Some of the emergency measures have already been successfully wound down, while others are still being phased out. The public health emergency, which underpins those immigration restrictions on the U.S.-Mexico border, are set to expire in just a few weeks on May 11th. I mentioned the legislation. A vast majority of Democrats in the House actually voted against the measure to end the emergency earlier, but it still passed with the House Republican majority. It then moved on to the Senate, where effectively Biden then indicated at that point that he wouldn't veto it. So it got support from Democrats and Republicans, more than two thirds of them in the Senate. Among the other changes for what this end of an emergency means, the Department of Housing and Urban Development's Mortgage Forbearance Program is now set to end at the end of May. The Department of Veterans Affairs is now returning to a requirement for in-home visits to determine eligibility for caregiver assistance. And along those lines, millions of Americans are poised to lose their Medicaid coverage. The pandemic allowed beneficiaries who no longer qualified for Medicaid or haven't provided any proof that they still deserve coverage to keep on getting it Now that the emergency is over, they're going to accountability again. So many states will begin to remove people between May and July. All right, we're learning some more details today on the mass shooting at the bank in Louisville, Kentucky on Monday. The city's police chief confirmed on Tuesday that the shooter was a 25-year-old bank employee who told at least one person he was suicidal before the shooting. They also learned that the shooter bought an AR-15 assault-style rifle at a local gun dealership just six days earlier on April 4th. The murderer, and if you've noticed by now, I'm not going to use his name, killed his co-workers, including a close friend of the governor of Kentucky, while live streaming or at least attempting to live stream the attack on Instagram. He was eventually killed by police, but not before he murdered five people and wounded another eight. A couple of them, including a police officer who was only 10 days into the job, are fighting for their lives right now at a local hospital. It turns out the shooter was on the brink of being terminated when he entered the bank with a rifle. That's according to a law enforcement source talking to CNN. 
prior writings by the gunman indicate he struggled to fit in before he joined the team at Old National Bank. They've also discovered a note he wrote to his parents and a friend indicating that he was going to open fire at the bank. It's unclear, though, when that note was discovered. The shooter also apparently left a voicemail message to a friend saying that he felt suicidal. Again, unclear if the friend received that voicemail before the attack started. In Kentucky, it turns out the governor happens to be a Democrat. The mayor of Louisville also happens to be a Democrat. Both of them calling for new gun laws in the aftermath of the mass shooting. But right now, they're coming up against a Republican supermajority in the state legislature. So it remains to be seen if any new laws are passed in the aftermath of the shooting. Notably, it comes as across the border in Tennessee. It appears they are now looking to change some laws after the mass shooting at the Nashville Elementary School there. The Republican governor of Tennessee, Bill Lee, on Tuesday said he will sign an executive order strengthening background checks for gun purchases. And the governor also called for state lawmakers to pass what's called a red flag law that would allow police to temporarily remove guns from dangerous people if they're alerted to them by family or friends. The governor also saying that he's asked legislative leaders to create and pass a, quote, order of protection legislation that strengthens existing laws designed to protect domestic violence victims. The governor there wants his fellow Republicans in the General Assembly to deliver this broader bill to his desk in the next month. They only have a month left before they recess for the entire year, and the governor wants a bill before they leave. The governor saying yesterday, we can't stop evil, but we can do something. And when there's a clear need for action, I think that we have an obligation to remind people that we can put aside politics and pride and accomplish something. Interestingly, the call from the governor comes after thousands of Tennesseans have rallied day after day for stricter gun laws, daily protests at the state capitol. We've told you about that. Some of those protests led to a couple of the members being expelled. This all comes after that March 27th school shooting that left three children and three staff members dead at the Covenant School. They've already started to take one measure in Tennessee. The governor there has proposed an additional $200 million in the state budget to place armed security guards at every Tennessee public school, boost physical security at public and private schools, and provide additional mental health resources for state residents. All right, we have a lot more news to get to in this speed read, including on this day in history. But first, I want to thank a couple of our sponsors this week and tell you about the special deals they have for you. Let's start with the good folks over at Bolin Branch Bedding and Sheets. We're so happy to be partnering again with them, a brand that helps you get an amazing night's sleep. They have a great sale right now for Mo News listeners. What's great about Bolin Branch Sheets is they're made with 100% traceable organic cotton that gets softer with every wash. They've already been bought by millions. We have a couple sets here at home. We've really been loving them. Bolin Branch spends a lot of time focused on the supply chain, and it turns out that traceable organic cotton is much better for the environment and farmers in India. This is something we discussed on my Instagram account recently. But let's get to the deal here. Right now, Mo News listeners will get 15% off using our code, Mo News. You can do that over at bullandbranch.com. That's bullandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. Promo code MONEWS for 15% off. Let's talk now about Athletic Greens. I've been using their AG1 vitamin supplement since the fall. The Athletic Greens AG1 powder is just one scoop with a glass of water in the morning. Easy, quick, lets you get on with your day knowing that you've gotten 75 important ingredients, including tons of vitamins and minerals. It also has pre and probiotics to support digestion, gut health. With your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1. You can head over now to athleticgreens.com slash monews to take advantage of this offer and get a 
discounted monthly subscription or try it for just one time for just a month. Again, athleticgreens.com slash monews for this special deal. It will really let you start to take ownership of your health. All right, let's get to the speed read now. We're going to start with the state of the economy. This comes to us from CNBC. Between higher costs and a possible recession on the horizon, families in America feel increasingly strained financially. According to the CNBC Your Money Financial Confidence Survey out this week, more than half of all Americans, actually 58%, are now living paycheck to paycheck. And even more, roughly 70%, 7 out of 10 Americans, say they feel stressed about their finances, mostly due to inflation, economic uncertainty, and rising interest rates. This survey data here in the U.S. comes as we also got a big-picture global glimpse at what's happening around the world from the International Monetary Fund on Tuesday. The IMF gave us a better sense of what's in store for the global economy in the coming years, estimating that growth will slow more than expected this year. The IMF said the outlook reflects, what else, higher interest rates that are needed to bring down persistent inflation, the deterioration of financial conditions with the whole banking turmoil, as well as the war in Ukraine. Interest rates have gone up across the world as nearly the entire developed world is dealing with sky-high inflation, Many central banks around the world trying to cool down their economies, bring down prices. The downside, of course, to raising interest rates and to cool down inflation is you will get slower growth. So it's almost purposeful here. Some of this is not necessarily surprising. The IMF saying in the report that global output will bottom out at 2.8% growth in 2023. That's down from 3.4% last year. They do see it going back up above 3% in 2024, at least based on the current projections. They added that the expected slowdown in the economy is concentrated right now in advanced economies, especially the euro area and the UK. The UK economy actually seen as contracting by just under 1% this year. All right, back here at home from Politico, the DA in Manhattan, Alvin Bragg on Tuesday, officially filed a lawsuit against Republican Congressman Jim Jordan for what he says is a, quote, unprecedentedly brazen and unconstitutional attack by members of Congress. The 50-page lawsuit by the Manhattan DA alleges Jordan and Republicans have launched a transparent campaign to intimidate and attack Bragg after the Trump indictment. Jordan and a number of other Republican leaders in the House who are close to Trump last month demanded documents related to Bragg's investigation of Trump and testimony from the DA himself. So what Bragg is trying to do with this lawsuit, he's trying to block House Republican subpoena of Mark Pomerantz. He's a former New York prosecutor. Bragg doesn't want him having to testify about highly sensitive and confidential prosecutorial information he says could ruin the case if it goes public. Bragg said basic principles of federalism, common sense, and Supreme Court precedent should forbid Congress from demanding information from a secret investigation, an ongoing case. It also notes that any subpoena would violate laws surrounding grand jury secrecy and privilege. Jordan tweeted back after the lawsuit, first they indict a president for no crime, then they sued to block congressional oversight when we ask questions about the federal funds they say they use to do it. It does appear at this point that the law appears to be behind the Manhattan DA, but we'll watch this case as it unfolds. It all comes as former President Trump is scheduled to return to New York this week for a deposition in a different case. This is the business fraud lawsuit filed against him and his company by the New York Attorney General Letitia James. So this is separate from the whole Stormy Daniels thing. This is a civil lawsuit. You might remember that last year, Trump previously sat for a deposition in this business case. In that deposition, he declined to answer any questions invoking his Fifth Amendment production more than 400 times. This lawsuit brought by Tish James against Trump 
in the fall alleges he and his company, the Trump Corporation, misled banks and others about the value of his assets. The state of New York is seeking $250 million and a ban on Trump ever doing business in the state again. All right, now to this from ABC News. The U.S. Postal Service is raising the cost of a first-class stamp from 63 cents to 66 cents. The new rates are poised to take effect in July unless they're overruled by a postal regulator. Keep in mind, for years now, the Postal Service has been billions in debt. This is the agency's fourth rate hike in two years and brings first-class mail costs up 32% in just the last three years. The Postal Service said it would increase rates twice annually, making up for what it says were years of artificially low rates as they endeavor to make the agency profitable again and rid it of its billions of dollars in unpayable liabilities. Postal finance officials have blamed inflation for increasing the agency's costs, depressing consumer spending, and it all comes as less and less people are using the Postal Service, so there's just less and less revenue opportunities for them. All right, now for a story that's getting a lot of attention online, including on my Instagram feed, Jon Stewart challenging the Pentagon on their spending. At an event last Thursday, the comedian and activist interviewed the number two at the Pentagon. Her name is Kathleen Hicks. She's the Deputy Secretary of Defense, and they delved into intense questions about the military defense budget, among other issues. At one point in the conversation, Stewart asked about the Pentagon's most recent audit, which found that the military was unable to account for a whopping 60% of its assets. Now, keep in mind, the military, Department of Defense, writ large, has several trillion dollars in assets, an annual budget of about $850 billion. It turns out that half of all discretionary money spent by the U.S. government is spent on defense matters, and then the entire rest of the government uh, is paid for by the other half of the funds. So the steward called out the fact that for the latest year, the Defense Department again has failed an audit. And Stewart said it's evidence of waste, fraud, and abuse. The Defense Department official, Kathleen Hicks, took issue with that. Take a listen to a bit of this. There is a lot of waste, fraud, and abuse within a system. Audits and waste, is. fraud, and abuse are not the same thing. So let's uh, decompose then these please pieces educate for a me on, on Sure. What so the, an audit is exactly what you just described, yes. which is, do I know what was delivered to which place? Right. The ability to pass an audit or in a, the fact that the DOD has not passed an audit is not suggestive of waste, fraud, and abuse. That is completely false right there. So... So what is now it is a question of, of it's suggestive that we can't we don't have an accurate inventory that we can pull up of what we have where that is not the same as saying we can't do that because waste, fraud and abuse has occurred. So in my world. Yeah, that's waste. How is that waste? If I give you a billion dollars and you can't tell me what happened to it. That, to me, is wasteful. That, that means you well, are not <laughs> responsible. But if you can't tell me where it went, then what am I supposed to think? All right, everybody, that's just a clip there. This continued for several more minutes as the Pentagon official tried to walk the tightrope of saying, yes, there are trillions unaccounted for, but it doesn't mean they were subject to waste or fraud. They're just merely unaccounted for, for now. Here's a bit more of the conversation as it continued to escalate. I mean, we got out of 20 years of war and the Pentagon got a $50 billion raise. Like, that's shocking to me. Now, I may not understand exactly the ins and outs and, yeah. and the incredible uh, magic of an audit, <laughs> but I'm a human being who lives on the earth and can't figure out how $850 billion to a department means that the rank and file still have to be on food stamps. Like, to me, that's fucking corruption. I'm sorry. And 
if like, if that blows your mind, and if you think like that's like a crazy agenda for me to have, I really think that that's institutional thinking and that it's not looking at the day-to-day reality of the people that you call the greatest fighting force in the world. So I just, again, I get back to this idea of like, I'm not looking to pick a fight with you, but I am surprised at that the reaction to these questions are, you don't know what an audit is, bucko. Like, that's just weird to me. All right, I wanted to play a bunch of that out because it really puts a finer point on the frustration that crosses party lines in Washington among Democrats and Republicans. The Pentagon has actually been required for years to go through an audit, and they didn't actually attempt an audit until 2018, and they failed it that year, and the year after that, and the year after that, if you're catching my drift here. The Pentagon has failed all five attempts at audits in recent years since 2018. At the same time, the Defense Department pushes back, saying we're making progress. Fun fact, the Defense Department is the largest employer in America. It's actually the largest employer in the entire world. Millions of people between the services, as well as uh, civilians, as well as contractors, officially do work for the Defense Department. And an audit for an organization with millions of employees in 50 states, 40 plus countries, trillions in assets, is hard to conduct, is hard to pass. And they will note that 40% of the Defense Department passed their audit, 60% did not. Congress is paying attention to all of this. There's a bill right now in the Senate that hasn't gone forward, and it's sponsored by a cross-section of senators from Bernie Sanders to Republican Chuck Grassley, Democrat Ron Wyden, to Utah Republican Mike Lee. All of them have co-sponsored a bill to actually have a punishment for not uh, completing your audit successfully. Their proposal is that any department, and by the way, all other departments pass their audits, except for the Defense Department, their bill would force the Defense Department to give 1% of their budget back every year as long as they don't pass an audit. If you're running the numbers here, that's about $8 billion, again, in an $850 billion budget. All right, we're going to end with some good news here from the magazine The Week. Keep buying that greenery. According to a new study out of Australia, preliminary data shows that a plant-filled home could help protect you from disease, including COVID-19. Scientists from the University of Victoria in Australia found that plants produce a chemical drug during photosynthesis that neutralizes viruses by safely disinfecting the air. So that chemical, you may have heard of it, is hydrogen peroxide. It's a substance that is used for disinfecting services, bleaching hair. It spontaneously forms in microscopic droplets of water in tiny amounts that are harmless to humans and then go into the air in your home. The new report out of that university in Australia says that that helps contribute to atmospheric cleansing in rooms. Now, this is very preliminary. Study authors say that they want to research this further but they're optimistic. One study co-author was quoted as saying, indoor plants could contribute to deactivation of pathogenic bacteria and viruses, such as airborne ones in homes and workplaces. So this research, we should note again, has not been peer-reviewed. More studies are needed, but still hopeful information for those of you who have a green thumb and can keep those plants alive. It does help, at least according to this study, clean the air. I just want to dedicate this story to my mother, Debbie, outside Chicago, who has approximately 27,000 plants in her house. Thanks, Mom, for keeping the air clean as we grew up. All right, now time for On This Day in History. It's a big day for space news. We're going to start 62 years ago today, 
April 12, 1961, the Soviet Union successfully launches the first man into space today with Yuri Gargarin, a 27-year-old Russian Air Force major, orbiting the Earth for one hour and 40 minutes. Notably, the Russians were actually crushing the U.S. in the space program during the 1950s and early 60s. The Russians would launch the first satellite, the first animal in space, the first man in space, the first woman in space, the first object to pass the moon, the first probe to crash into the moon. I can go on and on and on. But basically, for more than a decade, the Russians were first on everything. That's why President Kennedy thought it was so urgent for the U.S. to put people on the moon by the end of the decade. The U.S. ultimately would land on the moon with astronauts in 1969. It's one of the first things the U.S. beat Soviets to. The Russians were never successful in their attempt to land astronauts on the moon. All right, let's stay with space here, but fast forward to the 1980s. On this day in 1981, NASA launched the first space shuttle, Columbia, which was designed to orbit Earth, transport people and cargo to and from orbiting spacecraft and glide to a runway landing back on Earth. That space shuttle program would last for 40 years until 2011. Now, of course, the priority at NASA is getting back to the moon in order to then get to Mars. All right, a bit of tech news here, so to speak. Turning 131 years old today, the typewriter, a patent for the first portable typewriter, was issued in the United States on this day in 1892. And we end, as always, with a bit of pop culture. Garth Brooks today released his debut album on this day in 1989. Over the course of the last 34 years and dozens of albums, Brooks has gone on to sell more than 150 million albums. He's actually second on the all-time album list, just behind the Beatles. And Garth Brooks actually has sold more albums than Elvis by about 10 million. So it goes Beatles, Garth Brooks, Elvis in third, The Eagles in fourth place, and Led Zeppelin in fifth place on the all-time album sales list. And on this April 12th, I'd be remiss if I didn't mark the anniversary of this song. Right, that was 24 years ago today as the Backstreet Boys released their song, I Want It That Way. What's interesting about this song, Chrissy Teigen, the model, John Legend's wife, uh, tweeted a couple years ago what we were all thinking, that these lyrics don't make any sense. That whole Twitter thread went viral because no one actually, if you actually listen to these lyrics, it's not actually clear what I Want It That Way means. The members of the band through the years have been asked about it. AJ McLean saying a couple years ago that the lyrics mean, quote, Whatever each individual's interpretation is, the backstory here is that the I Want It That Way, along with a whole bunch of other pop hits in the 90s lyrics, were written by a Swedish writer whose English wasn't great at the time. And even the group noticed as they recorded the song that it didn't make any sense. So it actually turns out that the Backstreet Boys re-recorded, rewrote another version of I Want It That Way. But then they listened to the two versions, and they actually loved the original version, the one we all know, the one that doesn't make any sense, and went with it, despite it not making any sense. It turns out the lesson from this song is that not every hit needs to exactly make sense when you listen to it. You just got to feel the music. All right, I want to thank you all for listening to the Mo News Daily Podcast. Please follow or subscribe so you don't miss a single episode and leave us a review, whether you're a listener on Apple, Spotify, etc. That helps us grow. So if you take a moment today to leave us a review, I would be so grateful. And don't forget to follow us, of course, over on Instagram at Mosh at M-O-S-H-E-H. I'll see everyone back here tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.